Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. I think I played a version of the Cybergunner game in a platform at a demo at CinemaCon from uh, Digital Domain launched a new volumetric capture six DOF motion simulation platform. And the demo they did was this Cybergunner VR game. And I freaking, I didn't realize, I love this game. This is going to be awesome. I can't wait. Are you going to have this at IAPA? Yes, sir. Awesome. I'm going to play it. So obviously you're building a bit of an open platform, right? You're bringing in third-party content. Talk a little bit about the content strategy. Yeah, that's been something that's been evolving because we're a group of mechanical engineers. We're hardware guys and we've tried to just license content that's already been developed. I mean, there's the simulator can work with lots of off-the-shelf games, but there's so many different limitations to that, like the commercial licensing and getting it to support a controller, whether a steering wheel or a joystick, something that makes you feel like you're in the game opposed to a Xbox controller. Yeah. And there's those types of things. And, and then just making it easy to operate and not need a keyboard or things like that. So that was when we eventually contracted some developers in Orlando to help us make our own games. And we started with Cyber Gunner because it was something to be very easy intro to virtual reality. People are kind of familiar with the retro style arcade games, so it wouldn't be too intimidating or anything. And it's just very straightforward. And that's kind of where we came from there. And then the biggest request we get is flight simulators, but all the off-the-shelf flight simulators are way too difficult and are geared towards hobbyists. So that was why we went towards that route. And now at this point, we're working on trying to build a subscription model. So this is a a platform that we sell that will have monthly fee that will allow new games to be added to it, where we would uh, still most likely outsource the development of that until we can bring that all in-house for the most part. Or if a customer comes to us and they say, hey, this looks like a great game that we're interested in adding, we'll approach the developer, give them our plugins, and try to implement it into our operator interface as well. So there's a couple different avenues there, and it's just about building up the, uh, the population of these out there and seeing what works best for our customers. Yeah, cool. So do you want to tease anything around like pricing, availability, timing, or you want to wait for IAPA to do that? What's your, your pre-launch promotional strategy? Yeah, so we are still finalizing a few things. We're, we are selling these still. They're just not in our turnkey arcade cabinet, but we do have a version that we were selling at IAPA last year that is an actual turnkey system. It's just not as pretty as our new one's going to be. Yeah. So um, we do advertise the sale of these turnkey systems are just under 33000 and that includes all the hardware the commercial licenses for these games and a the operator interface as well. So it makes it a lot easier to just use a touchscreen. You can control multiple from one tablet as well. So just being on the same network, which really eases up the need for an operator in these certain locations. So we have all this info on our website. And honestly, the, the more people that give us a call and tell us what works best for their locations will allow us to fine-tune this final product in November. 
So let's talk a little bit about Dave and Buster's. So the Dave and Buster's project, everybody knows about it. It was a massive rollout of VR. It kind of gave a lot of credibility to the VR in an FEC market. And there were 786 companies that have taken some credit for some portion of that project. What part did you play in this project and what was it like and what did you learn out of it? We helped really with the final integration of making sure that this will be like a final product and uh, assisted with the hardware software integration of all of the simulators. And we actually built and tested all of the motion bases. So there was a company that was doing the metal manufacturing. Uh, VR Studios did all the software. This was all of their concept as well. So we kind of came in to mass produce them and help bring it to market. Uh, we ended up getting assigned the role of the support team. So we were the ones making sure every store got up and running before the launch day. And uh, we still are assisting with support. So whenever anyone at the stores has an issue, they'll call the Talon VR hotline and we'll do everything we can to get them back up and running as soon as possible. And so I know, look, I want to flip through these. And if there's anything else that you want to, you want to talk about as far as projects go before we move to your passion, anything else you want to talk about about this product before we shift over to talking about safety and VR and why it's important and what we can do about it? Well, we've been spending a lot of time on the Atomic Arcade, which is very applicable. Uh, yeah, there's a great photo of us at our senior showcase, so we've come a long way. Is that <laughs> from, like uh, the parts from Junkyard? Senior year in college, right? That's the one. Ah, when everything's blue sky and promises. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, makes it look seem easy now. Yeah. But yeah, the one thing. So this is our our flagship product, our turnkey arcade system. Uh, however, the simulator is very adaptable and adjustable. So some of those pictures that you uh, click through on our client projects showcase different things that we've created with the simulators because we can sell just the simulators and the SDK and allow developers to create whatever. So that Nuot VR experience is out in Kidzania and Dubai and yep. Nuot bought the simulators, created the space experience and built it into their exhibit. There's been marketing activations that we've done. Uh, one of the really more exciting and really cool things that we've been working on right now, too, is with uh, Bell and their helicopter simulators that they're using to uh, collect data for a future of um, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles for Uber air taxis. So it's pretty insane, the, the different applications that these simulators have. So we're building out our verticals and Although entertainment is our primary focus now, we know that we want to be able to assist with those sorts of projects, uh, whether marketing or research, yeah. but as well as with training. So we're, we've got our foot in the door with, on a few military projects, and they're starting to adapt virtual reality as well. So we're trying to keep our niche being uh, arcades and entertainment centers but not forgetting about the other applications. And, in the and you got to keep the doors open when you're a startup, right? So project work oftentimes for companies like yours is I know is the lifeblood of the business while you're, which gives you the runway to get the product right and perfect it, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. so, cool. I look forward to seeing it at IAPA and talking about IAPA. We're going to be doing a panel together and you are the chair of um, the VRARA uh, safety committee. And so talk a little bit about what that mission is and why are you in it and why should anybody care? Yeah, I, I got 
familiar with the ASTM meetings. Well, I guess I was familiar with ASTM, which is the American Society of Testing Materials, just from studying mechanical engineering. And so these are standards for all sorts of industries. They're very active in the F24 committee, uh, subcommittee for amusement rides and devices. So I'd gone to a few of these amusement ride conferences for ASTM during college and got familiar with it. And once we started the company, I was like, well, we were starting to see people just buying VR stuff and putting it out everywhere. And so it got a little concerning and I started talking to some of the people that um, were running ASTM and they shared similar concerns enough to the point where everyone agreed that we needed a task group on AR VR specifically related to HMDs. So there is lots of major modifications, which it has is its own part of ASTM as well There's all of these certain standards on if you're going to upgrade a ride and there's people that are, just adding HMDs to all these rides without necessarily um, applying those safety standards. And then, I mean, we could easily pull pictures online and see all of these unsafe practices of people using VR headsets. Name a few that you've seen that you think are the most common. Because I don't know if people know that this is an issue and they might not. So, you know, you might take it for granted that people know this or that people understand what you're talking about. Give me two or three examples. No, I, I totally agree. And I, I think that I don't know, and I think bringing awareness to it is the most important thing. But one of the big things is wire management. We're not completely wireless yet, and people are trying to clean up how the wires are, but you can still easily get tangled, trip over things, which you can then uh, walk into walls. You can throw accidentally throw things at people. And that's one of the big things as far as like room scale and warehouse experiences that we've seen is, is there a way to really prevent that? And I don't run a location, but I work with several places that do. And I go and check in on them. And sometimes we see certain things that, and hear stories of these instances and like, what can we do to combat them? And we're not really to the point of having answers. We try to recommend best practices but we are working on trying to see where VR, AR aligns because pretty soon augmented reality is also going to be implemented into amusement attractions more and more. And it's not so much the media that we're showcasing as there's been decades of media-based attractions, but it's more so the act of putting on an HMD and what that entails. So whether it's hygiene or safety and all right, but look, we're in the amusement industry, right? And we've got decades and decades and decades of dangerous fucking shit, right? So, like, every time I see a kid in a bouncy house, I cringe. And I wonder why we don't have more skull fractures. Or maybe we do, and they're just not counted and documented. Trampoline parks, broken bones, broken necks, broken backs, whiplash on roller coasters, laser tag. You've got 20 people running around a dark room shrouded with fog and strobe lights. So right. is VR really any more dangerous than any of that shit that happens all the time? Well, we're starting to just believe that it needs to be addressed in a way that people don't just keep trying to deploy virtual reality attractions without considering how to safely operate them. And a lot of that came on with uh, VR coasters, which has evolved a lot over the years. And then 
but just people taking VR headsets and putting them in malls. So there's been definitely some good reaction videos over there, but things that really could have been more harmful than they were. And it's not necessarily the idea of trying to restrict it in any way, but what we've seen is a lot of providers and new locations are people that are pivoting from the consumer technology industry, which is a way different market, way different technology. Like they're taking products that were meant for consumers and trying to put them in these locations, which also has its own ramifications. And that I think had the biggest impact on why we're starting to see things like this and not properly utilized. Because industry veterans, the people that are now starting to get more into the technology that have been vetting it a little bit more, not so much of a problem. It's it's more some of the the newcomers and people that were trying to get more familiar with it. But yeah. and an example of that, so I'm in Germany and part of the reason to come here was go to do the VR bumper cars um, in Nuremberg and then do the VR coasters. Uh, there's two of them that Europa Park has um, from Mach Coaster and, and VR Coaster that were done with Holodeck VR. And and I talked to the guys that were, you know, doing some of the safety around the VR bumper cars. And, and they talked about having to slow the cars down and the extra weight on the head, you know, increases potentially the G-force and the amount of whatever happens when your neck snaps, when you hit something. And so they had to take that into consideration. And so, you know, and, and I think Germany is a pretty highly regulated market as, as most of the EU is. And, and I know they had to go through a lot of that stuff. And maybe is this an American thing that you think that's a challenge? And and do we need to follow other markets where it's being done better? Or do you think it's not being done well anywhere? Or what, what I know this is important to you. So where do you fall on that? Yeah, I think it really is a, a global scale issue. And issue is kind of a strong term, but it really, you know, some people that come and are part of our task group, you know, they see some things out there as well, sort of from a the non-VR expert point of view that concerns them as well. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be virtual reality related as far as the headsets go, but there's a lot of knockoff products as well that might not even be certified legally, like whether it's UL or CE and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of aspects to it that can be unsafe. It's a VR product with all of these other attachments and things that yeah. you can't, you really sh- aren't even legally allowed to have in a mall because of the restrictions that they have. So I do think it, it's a global phenomenon, but obviously other countries are going to be a little bit more adapt to that kind of thing. Germany is kind of ahead, I think, in a lot of those aspects and uh, work really closely, however, with the ASTM standards because there's the EU standards and we have several of their representatives over at RSTM meetings as well. I know uh, Mach and VR Coaster are both involved. And so they definitely don't take these things lightly and they do a great job at following the standards and applying them. But when we see maybe just another secondary company and that same sort of product range, not necessarily do all of those things, then that's when it becomes pretty worrisome. And yeah. there were instances of that. Yeah, and look, I'll cop to this. I remember at LaserStorm in the early days, you know, we were a bootstrap startup and, you know, we had to get FCC testing and we went to, I think we had TUV Reinhold, TUV Einhoven, Reinhold, whatever, that did the testing for us for, you know, to get a UL listing. And But we probably didn't do that until we had 30 or 40 locations out there out of the 230 or 270 or whatever we ultimately did. And, 
And, you know, occasionally a customer would ask about it, but frankly, like it never came up. And I was talking to somebody recently that just left a company in the VR arcade market who's building kind of VR game ride things. And, you know, and he told me, I'm not going to name him, but he told me, it's like, yeah, we never got, you know, UL and CE listings and, and nobody asked for it. And there's some big chains that are running this stuff, actually. And it's really shocking how the buyers don't actually do their diligence on what has been approved and what isn't. Because ultimately, you know, if it comes down to the liability, I know the manufacturer is going to be liable, but if it's a startup company and they don't have good product liability insurance, or they don't have a big fat bank account, which a lot of the companies in the VR space don't have, ultimately, they're going to be held liable by whoever gets hurt. And I think that's a message that I think, you know, probably needs to get out there to the operator community is who are you buying from? And what do they have? And how are they going to back up what they've done if if something does go wrong? Yeah, that's a huge point. And you actually referenced something similar on your Traction Pros podcast about how the Did you actually listen to that? Yeah, I got on my phone, you saw it, I was like, I'll listen to this, I'm driving across town, and yeah, it was awesome. Uh, But you're making a point that the operators depend on manufacturers for innovation, and that can be pretty detrimental. It kind of goes the same way where they rely on them for safety, and one main reason I think um, the Dave & Buster's VR attraction has been so successful is because they were responsible for picking and designing this attraction and making it the way that they know it needs to be for their location and not every operator is capable of doing that and designing their own thing that's the end of part two of this interview part three is up next